You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to help you plan that unbelievable travel experience. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Start! You can call me Bruce. Bruce Nolan is standing by. Hey, wacky Bruce! Coming to you from an undisclosed location, this is the Bruce Exclusive, and here's your host, Bruce Nolan. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, children of all ages, welcome to another edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome. Can I help you with something? My wife walked in while I was in the middle of my intro. She's looking through drawers in the office studio here that we have for something specific. Sweetheart, what are you looking for? Bookmarks. Bookmarks. She has a new book that she got for Christmas. And I hope that you all are out there looking for bookmarks that you got to go with your books for Christmas. Hopefully they do know where they are. Okay, bye. So you had an opportunity to have a nice little interlude there. Just mix it up a little bit. You know, you never know what you're going to have happen. Buddy, go with mom. Go with your mommy. Go on. Go on. The dog will not leave the office. This is this is the update that we got going on. I'll bet you didn't think you were going to get that as an intro to this podcast. Bye, sweetheart. Bye, baby. I love you. And we're back. And we're back. That was a nice little, you know, detour. But Merry Christmas to you guys. I haven't talked to you since the Christmas holiday. And what a gift Bill's Mafia got from the Buffalo Bills on Sunday with a victory over the New England Patriots in a huge game that puts the Bills in the driver's seat for the AFC East Championship. It was a big game. There's no question about it. And I've mentioned before that I believe... In statement games. And I think it was a statement game for the Buffalo Bills. I think they made a statement. I think it's time to start thinking again of this team as someone who can make noise in the playoffs. And one of the reasons that they're able to do that is because they have a coach like Sean McDermott who showed hyper aggression against the New England Patriots. Now, Sean McDermott has come under fire under the last couple of weeks as the Bills went on a two-game losing streak. I even got into a discussion with some people on Twitter. One of them, I think, the Twitter handle was McDermott Sucks, so I'm sure he had an extremely nuanced view on the topic. But his hyper-aggression, Sean McDermott's, that is, shows how quickly narratives can change. And maybe the cooler takes are the ones that have a higher likelihood of being accurate. Rather than being swung from one take to another, from one extreme to another, 
maybe now's a good opportunity to take stock in the last couple of weeks of Bills football. Because the heat of a take is directly proportional to its likelihood of being seemingly idiotic in retrospect. Now, I understand that when you come to this show, at this point, you've come to expect that you are not going to get hot takes. That's really not what we do here. But hot takes are designed to get your attention, and they are most of the time based on things that are small sample sizes. The idea that Sean McDermott suddenly became a bad coach or that he should be on the chopping block or that he should be fired, things like that come from the hot takes. That's where they come from. It comes from this idea that we have to grab your attention when you are feeling emotionally compromised because of disappointment that has stemmed from your team losing. But I think now is a good time to just start off the pod and just say, now's a good time for us to learn. Now's a good time for us to learn that the ridiculous reactionary hot takes usually end up looking really stupid in a couple of weeks. Does Sean McDermott deserve some criticism? Yes, I was one of the people who gave him it. But as we talked about at the time, there's a big difference between he deserves some criticism and he should be fired. The amount of criticism he would need to accumulate would be significant before the conclusion would be drawn that, hey, I think he needs to be fired. And one of the things that Sean McDermott did against the New England Patriots was by being hyper-aggressive, he forced someone else to fall into the Bills game script instead of the Bills falling into the opponent's preferred game script. We've seen this a couple times this year where the Buffalo Bills have fallen directly into what another team wanted them to be. They played the game the way the other team wanted them to play it. This time, a little different. The Buffalo Bills wanted to get up on the Patriots and force Mac Jones to obvious throwing situations. Let's force him into situations where he's probably going to have to throw, drive the ball downfield, take away a lot of the crutches, the screen game, the play action, take away a lot of those things and force him to drop back pass into the Bills secondary with the Bills pass rush with the Patriots weapons. That's what you want. And the Bills, by being hyper-aggressive, were able to do that. They didn't fall into the game script of let's keep this game close early. Let's play for field goals only. No, the way we win this game, they said, is by being aggressive and getting up and forcing them into our game script. And that's exactly what they did. And after the game, Sean McDermott kind of gave us a little peek into that because he said that's what the game called for. What I think we've learned from the last couple of weeks is that Sean McDermott is not by default a hyper-aggressive coach, nor is he by default a hyper-conservative coach. He comes into each game with an idea of how he's going to play it. And sometimes that's hyper-aggressive, and sometimes that's a little more conservative. And on the games where he's a little conservative, he's doing it with a reason. Now, I might not agree with the reason. I'd prefer to see a more consistent level of aggression. But we have the data, and we have the words directly from his mouth that will tell us that he handles this on a game-by-game basis. And sometimes he's going to be hyper-aggressive, and sometimes he's not. 
So that narrative is gone now. I don't want to ever hear it again unless there's an overwhelming large amount of evidence that indicates that he's shifted because we have it. We have the data. We have it directly from his mouth. Sometimes he's going to be hyper-aggressive. Sometimes he's not going to be. And it's going to be based on game by game because it's what he feels like the game calls for. Now, we can have a completely separate discussion as to whether or not that's the best approach. But we should not now mislabel what the approach is. We cannot say the next time he's hyper-conservative in a game, we can't say, well, that's just it. He's hyper-conservative all the time. No, it's not true. It's not true. Let's criticize people for what they actually are, not for the thing that we would like to brand them as so we can continue to be mad. So I think the whole narrative about Sean McDermott, I think it's over. I think it's done. We've seen games with extreme levels of aggression now. What the Bills did on fourth down against the Patriots is extremely aggressive. If you are a hyper-conservative coach by nature, and that's all you know, then that by definition is not going to be something you're ever going to be comfortable doing. So that's off the table for Sean McDermott. But we know that there are going to be games where he's going to be hyper-conservative. We've seen him. So the narrative on Sean McDermott is it's game by game. And we're probably going to learn fairly early in the game. If this is going to be one of those games where he comes in with a specific mindset of, hey, I'm going to play this one a little conservatively. Or, hey, we're going all out. We're being aggressive. So I think the Sean McDermott narrative is over. Until there's a significant enough sample size that indicates that he shifted away from that mindset and now he's hyper-aggressive all the time or he's hyper-conservative all the time, we know. We know what the answer is. So we can move off that. That's no longer a thing. We can have a different discussion as to the criticism of that thing but we should not mislabel him moving forward as hyper-conservative or someone who's by default hyper-aggressive because neither one of those things is true. One of the things I think is interesting about the Patriots game is that it has a tendency when examined to lead us back to some of the other narratives. And that's what I'm doing. I'm kind of circling back on some of these narratives. Now that the Bills have won a game that was really big, it's time to now circle back on some things. I'll give you a great example. Brian Dable, he drew up back-to-back touchdowns for Kumaro and Knox, where both plays were allowing for open receivers with a shot at touchdowns. Execution failed both of them. Stop judging play calling based entirely on result. Brian Dable drew up on a wide-open Jake Kumaro. What else could you possibly ask for? Brian Dable drew up an open Dawson Knox who was running in for a touchdown. Execution failed them on both counts. There's a chance that Brian Dable and or Leslie Frazier will not be with the Buffalo Bills next season. That again, we all thought that was a possibility last season. But there's a possibility they're no longer around. And when that happens, there will still be people who say Brian Dable's a bad offensive coordinator. If somebody draws up a play that leads to a wide open receiver and your quarterback misses him or your receiver drops the ball, that's it. Sorry. That's a good play call. It's a great play call. It's a fantastic play call. It's not something that happens very often because defenses are good and they get paid too. 
But failures in execution are a thing. And we just don't like talking about them. Because play calling is this nebulous idea that's out in the ether. And we try to grab a hold of it and just blame it. Speaking of execution, the ratio for Josh Allen that has always been important is the ratio of plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely make versus the plays an average quarterback wouldn't likely miss. We've talked about this multiple times in this podcast. I'll give you a great example. Josh Allen missed a swing pass really badly against the New England Patriots. Mac Jones probably makes that throw. And that's the truth. However, Mac Jones can't make the plays Josh Allen made in that game. The shovel passes, the ability to create, Mac Jones can't do those things. It's always going to be the rub for Josh Allen. And that's the thing that makes him special. The Patriots had a better offensive line, a better running game, a better pass rush, but they didn't have Josh Allen. And so when you're examining Josh Allen, that's always the ratio I'm looking at because I accept that he's going to miss something like that. He's going to miss a swing pass badly. He's going to sail the ball over ahead badly. And the people who are critical of Josh Allen, that's all they look at. All they look at is about the stuff that he missed. And I know that. I am aware. I am very aware of the things he misses that an average quarterback probably makes. However, I'm also very, very, very aware of the things he makes that an average quarterback wouldn't even attempt and would be lambasted by Twitter, the media, and the fan base if they did because they simply do not have the traits. The Bills' offensive line was okay against the Patriots. It wasn't elite. Let's not freak out and think we have our answer on the interior line when it comes to Ryan Bates. I went back and watched all of Ryan Bates, by the way, and I'll talk to you about him in a second. But a lot of what happened was Josh Allen just being the best player on the field. That's what happened. And when you have a quarterback who can make those types of plays, the defense just kind of throws their hands up in the air and goes, listen, we had the right call. You hear people talk about playing above the X's and O's. That's what happens. Now, there's some players who play beneath the X's and O's. And you're going to have plays where you play beneath the X's and O's, where it's all drawn up correctly, and you just don't execute. You just miss the swing pass. You miss the check down. And that happens. But the amount of time that Josh Allen spends playing above the X's and O's more than weighs out, more than makes up for the amount of plays where he's beneath the X's and O's. That doesn't mean those plays don't exist. That doesn't mean we forget about them. But he still has plays that very few human beings on the planet can make and that are almost indefensible because the defense can be in the right call. You can have the right pressure scheme. You can get a free rusher. You can do all the things right and still lose the down because traits give you options. And Josh Allen really is a gigantic rolling ball of traits coming downhill at you, all 240 pounds of you, shovel passing his way to a victory over the New England Patriots. So let's talk about Ryan Bates. I went back and watched all of Ryan Bates' snaps from the game against the New England Patriots, and I thought he played fine. Um, I think the sample size is small, 
as far as us jumping to conclusions on why on earth was this guy not playing? I, it, it's that's just way, 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 way too soon for that. But I thought I played fine. I thought I gave up one pressure. Um, he didn't have a lot of embarrassing moments. Ike Butker actually got uh, bowled over on the failed fourth down uh, in the red zone that we were all kind of worried that if the Bills didn't get, that Sean McDermott was going to clam up a little bit and not go for more fourth downs the rest of the way. So there weren't a lot of embarrassing moments for Ryan Bates. I thought he played fine. He acquitted himself perfectly reasonably. I'm perfectly happy seeing more from him at guard. Given the fact that he's been on the roster for a while, he's essentially Ike Butker, right? What with less tenure on the Buffalo Bills. He's someone who's been around for a while. It's time to see if he's learned enough to be able to stick a step forward and to be able to help this team when they need to. On a related note, when it comes to red zone, which was a concern for the Buffalo Bills earlier this year, again, circling back on previous narratives, this is what we saw in the red zone from the Buffalo Bills. We saw a quarterback draw that was an RPO on a slant route to Emmanuel Sanders. We saw Stephon Diggs lined up in the backfield. I think at this point, it's time to circle back to Brian Dable sucks narratives, which you knew I was going to do. And I already mentioned it previously, but red zone play calling. Oh, he's boring and bland and vanilla in the red zone. Okay. Not true. None of these things are true. So if we're learning anything now, it's that all the overreactions that happened weeks ago were all nonsensical and based on very limited sample sizes. And they were flailing. Remember when I did the Diagnostic Difficulty podcast a couple weeks ago where I was trying to tackle the narratives of, well, they're not running Josh down the red zone. No, that's not true. Oh, well, they're, they're passing on first down or their, their pass ratio is messed up. No, that's, that's not true either. I came up with two things that they were doing a little bit differently than they historically had been. But the Bills didn't magically become an entirely different team than they were in 2020 and 2021. And they didn't magically change back in one game. They didn't swing drastically from really good in 2020 to really bad in 2021. And now they're really good again. What do you think the higher likelihood is? The team oscillated from really good to really bad and now really good again, or somebody overreacted. I think there's no better time to look back on things like that than after a good win. Let's soak in the good win. Let's absolutely do it. But let's look at the way that it's progressed the last couple of weeks. Let's go back and look at all those terrible. You remember when Deion Dawkins was terrible? I remember when Deion Dawkins was terrible. Came in. Matthew Judon against the Buffalo Bills, one pressure. That was what Matthew Judon did. Maybe his worst game of the year. Deion Dawkins, again, allows zero pressures. We're going to take a quick break because we should have like five minutes ago, but I got carried away. Stick with me. We'll be right back. Vacations can be tricky. You already know how to book flights and hotels, but now the only thing you're missing is you know, the actual travel experience. Because is it really a vacation if you're just sitting around like you would at home? You need a tool to get the most out of your time away. That's where Viator steps in. You can book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. 
so you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who already been on the experiences you're considering, so you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected, and 24/7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Welcome back, everybody, and thank you for joining me for this edition of the Bruce Exclusive, a Buffalo Rumblings podcast. I'm your host, Bruce Nolan. You can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Bruce Exclusive. Welcome back. We took a late break, but we're still going to get in everything we want to get in. There's two more points I want to talk about before we get into plurality pie and emails. The first one is that the heavy usage of Devin Singletary continues. Are the Bills a bell cow team now? Are they a team who is now comfortable with one running back carrying a significant load? Or are they doing that because they don't trust any of the other running backs on the team? Which is it? I think we'll know this offseason based on the personnel moves that they do and how they respond next year. I think if the Bills go out and acquire an additional running back and they go right back to additional running back and then Singletary, what that means is that they weren't really a bell cow offense at all. They were just someone who didn't trust heavily the other running backs on the team. And if they go and acquire another running back and that guy becomes the bell cow, then yes, they were a bell cow team at that point. So we're not really going to know if they're shifting because of their lack of trust or if they're shifting because that's a new concept for them that, you know what, we're going to let one person kind of get in the uh, rhythm. We're not going to know until this offseason. And even then, we'll probably only know if they acquire an additional talent and add it to the running back room. But I think it's important to note because I don't feel like we're talking about it. The Bills have never been a bell cow running back team since Sean McDermott came on board. They've always been a very, very even split but rushing attempts favored Singletary 4-1 to one over an active Zach Moss this week. And I think it's important to note because I think it's going to tell us a little bit about potentially what we could see from the Buffalo Bills this offseason. So put a pin in that and we'll come back to it. The last thing I want to talk about before we get into emails is Josh Allen's statement to Harrison Phillips. I don't know who the bleep they thought I was, Harry. Why am I even bothering to talk about this? The bond between Josh Allen and Bill's Mafia is different than it has been for other quarterbacks that have been around in my particular lifetime. And I think one of the reasons it is that way is because he's a gentleman off the field and he's a warrior on it. And Sean McDermott, I think, deserves some of the credit for helping to mold this persona. Sean McDermott is the humble but hungry guy. Sean McDermott is also the love the swagger statement to Josh Allen kind of guy. And I don't think, quite frankly, that Sean McDermott gets essentially any credit for it. Because Josh Allen is a very coachable guy. He doesn't want to let people down. I do feel like his personality would be different if he came into the league under a different coach. The quarterback the team, they have a tendency to take on a little bit of the personality of the coach. And as much as we love Josh Allen, and sometimes that leads to us not necessarily seeing any flaws or criticism that might be justified with Josh Allen, 
I think one of the things we don't talk about essentially ever is Sean McDermott and his hand being on the development of Josh Allen as a professional. Not necessarily as a quarterback. He's a defensive-minded head coach. Josh Allen's got Brian Dable. He's got Jordan Palmer. He's got private coaching. I'm not talking about on the field. I'm talking about from a persona standpoint because that's one of the reasons why Bill's Mafia loves him so much. They love him because you know full well it's an absolute bear to play against Josh Allen when he's feeling it. He's talking crap on the field. He's got swagger. And then off the field, you know, just, you know, yes, sir, no, sir, yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. Not causing controversy, not causing drama, not adding a bunch of bulletin board material for other teams, not getting into controversial fights with the media. No controversy off the field from Josh Allen. Not on social media slamming people, trying to take his dunks. But on the field, he's a monster. And that duality is very much like the coach of the Buffalo Bills. So I know that we may not always like Sean McDermott's conservative moments. And he's going to have them. He's going to have conservative moments. He's going to have conservative games. Heck, he might even have conservative trends. And we might not always like that. And we might not like the standard non-answers he gives at press conferences. We might not like the Got to be humble and hungry. We might not like the, it starts with me. We might not like those things about Sean McDermott. But he's partially given credit, or he should be partially given credit, for the thing you love about your franchise quarterback. Let's get to emails. Let's dive in because I've got a few to get into. Donal says, Hi, Bruce. Thank you for your great Bills content you provide every week. I try to consume what I can from Buffalo Rumblings, but your pods and Joe Marino's Locked On Bills, I never miss. I live in Belfast, Ireland, and while the NFL has gained a huge following over here in recent years, there aren't too many Bills fans, so it's great to feel the connection online through the great content you and others produce every week. I follow the Bills because of family, my grandmother's cousins, that emigrated and settled in Niagara Falls around a century ago. Our families remain close, and I have been lucky to visit Western New York a number of times, and maybe someday I'll get to a Bills game. I became a Bills fan at age six on a family holiday in 1988. But despite being fanatical in those early years, I cannot claim to be someone who suffered the drought the way most fans did. Watching the NFL was expensive due to subscription TV, and my dad, quite rightly, wasn't going to spring for that. I always kept an eye out for the Bills and followed them loosely, but my first sporting loves were Gaelic football and soccer. Fast forward to 2017, and my wife and I were lucky to adopt two amazing toddlers, and my life and sleeping pattern changed forever. I was no longer able, nor did I want, to take large chunks out of my Saturdays and Sundays watching sports. Having said that, I needed sports in my life, and it definitely helped me blow off steam and manage the stress of everyday life. I quickly realized that the time difference between here and America provided me with a great opportunity. The NFL is on largely after my kids go to bed. And I steadily got more and more engrossed in the sport, and especially the Bills since then. I love the Bills, and I haven't missed a snap in the last three seasons. Despite that often meaning setting 1 a.m. alarms on school nights, I'm a teacher, to get up and watch the games. My reason for writing to you, as well as to say thanks for the content, is because I completely agree with what you said about fandom spilling over and affecting your relationships in real life. 
When I was a teenager and even a young adult, I definitely got overly upset when my favorite team would lose. But thankfully, I grew up. I tried to take advantages of the following sports teams and none of the disadvantages. You once described yourself as a football fan first with a rooting interest in the Bills. I would say I'm a Bills fan first with a growing interest in football. And your podcasts and Joes definitely allow my knowledge and understanding of both to grow. Thanks for that. Anyway, I wouldn't consider myself qualified to have a big take on X's and O's, but I do have one opinion I'd like to share. Overreaction is a big part of the sport. I get it. But it seems like it's completely insane following the NFL. In Gaelic sports and soccer, it's not uncommon to say and hear takes such as, that player had a terrible game today, or he's in a bad run of form at the minute. Whereas in American football, I hear things like, I'm done with this guy, or he's a complete fraud. Let's take Zach Moss. A year ago, he was definitely the darling of the mafia in the running back room. Whereas after some bad games this season, he is persona non grata. Could it be that he, as one example of the point, is just in a bad run of form? Anyway, maybe I'm naive, but I just feel like we write players off too soon. Happy New Year to you and your family and go Bills. Donal from Ireland. Okay, first off, shout out to the international fans. I think sometimes we don't realize how convenient we have it in the United States to watch football. Even though Sunday ticket's annoying, going to the bar to watch the game's kind of annoying, but the time zone difference means people in other countries make significant sacrifices to watch the Buffalo Bills. They mess up their entire weeks to watch the Buffalo Bills. And I feel like we never talk about it because we somehow think American football is the only American sport, which is not true. I've seen the statistics on this podcast. I have lots of international listeners. So for you out there who are in different time zones and are setting 1 a.m. alarms to get up to watch the game and go back to bed on a school night, shout out to you. Because when people talk about how good Buffalo Bills fans are, they have a tendency to only talk about people who live in Western New York. As if somehow if you don't go to a game, that makes you a lesser fan. Which is not true. So shout out to the international fans because of the sacrifices that you have to make to be able to watch the Buffalo Bills. Now, in regards to Donald's question about overreaction in American football, it is more significant and I think it's because sample size is smaller. There are only 17 games in the regular season of football. As such, the overreaction happens fast and furious. People don't have a tendency to really care about sample size as they would if there was a 162 games or 88 games or however many games are in hockey or I, I don't know. There's, there's games in hockey and basketball and baseball. I don't know. There's, there's a lot. There's a lot in those somewhere 80, 100. I don't know. But there's a lot less of them in football. It's the shortest of all the regular seasons of the major American sports. And because of that, people feel like they don't have time to wait for sample size. They got to overreact. They have to move. Because one loss is a huge deal. They do the same thing in college football. Because in college football, one loss could keep you out of the playoffs. For a team like Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama, that's a huge deal. But sample size rules still apply. I just feel like they get paid a lot less attention to because of how impatient the teams are and how they can't really afford to wait for sample size. So instead, they make rash decisions that end up screwing up 16 out of 17 games because they feel like they can't wait for sample size. We should. We just don't. Jacob says, I have theme song 
available for the Pats victory. Sunday's win against the Pats was I'm shipping up to Boston by the dropkick Murphys. Showing up to Boston to find and take back what was theirs. That's it. That's the email. Just wanted you to know. <laughs> I am familiar with the dropkick Murphys. Jacob says, P.S. Considering the stakes and the personnel missing, this may have been Josh Allen's best game of his career. This game cemented him for me as a top three quarterback in the league right now, career accomplishments aside. The throw across his body to Sanders was bonkers, as were six or seven other world-beater throws. Decision-making against man and zone were spot on from the word go. We already talked about it. There are multiple throws that Josh Allen made against the Patriots that very few human beings on the planet can make. You just can't do it. They don't have the necessary traits to be able to pull it off. And are you going to get one or two throws a game where you go, not ideal? Yeah, probably. But you're going to get way more of the throws that are really, really good. And that's a variance average issue. And that's always going to be a thing. But that's okay. Because it almost always favors the Bills. For the last two years, the ratio of throws an average quarterback wouldn't likely miss to throws an average quarterback wouldn't likely make, that ratio has greatly favored the Buffalo Bills over the last two years. Evan has an almighty take. Fresh off the defeat of the evil Emperor Belichick and his futile apprentice Count Mac Jones, the Buffalo Bills get everyone back from COVID. Bills fans should prepare to see Josh Allen bring peace, freedom, justice, and security to his new empire in Western New York and witness the might of Brian Dable's fully armed and operational offensive battle station. First, there will be a test fire on the Atlanta Falcons. This overachieving team, who is a 14-point underdog, will look it as Buffalo wins 35-14, to 14, and the deflector shield, known as the Bills' defense, will be quite operational when Matt Ryan and his friends arrive. Wow, it's a lot of Star Wars in there. I appreciate it. You fit a lot of Star Wars into that. And I gotta be honest, I'm, I'm kind of feeling it. I'm not, not even gonna lie. I'm definitely, I'm definitely down for it. Final thing, plurality pie, Buffalo Bills, New England Patriots. Let's do it. Sean McDermott, 31%. Josh Allen, 30%. Isaiah McKenzie, 18%. We barely even talked about Little Dirty. I will tell you this about Isaiah McKenzie. The routes that Isaiah McKenzie were running are not the same routes that Cole Beasley was running. It's not a one-to-one swap with Isaiah McKenzie and Cole Beasley. Isaiah McKenzie was running away from man coverage underneath with cover one. He was literally running away on drags. Look at his route chart from the game. It's drag, 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 drag. Because you have that straight line speed you don't have with Cole Beasley. They're not the same player. They're not interchangeable. The question of Isaiah McKenzie or Cole Beasley. Like, it's not a question. They do very different things. Now, could we see Isaiah McKenzie in Cole Beasley's role? I don't know. We didn't see that. The things he was doing are not Cole Beasley things. They weren't asking them to do the same thing, which is another feather in Brian Dable's cap. He didn't put Isaiah McKenzie and said, go do Cole Beasley things. We didn't see any of those little RPO slants that you see to Cole Beasley all the time. None of them. Everything was running away from underneath man coverage because McKenzie has that straight line speed. Bill's offensive line, 9%. Brian Dable, 7%. Other 5%. So Sean McDermott, 31%. Josh Allen, 30%. Isaiah McKenzie, 18%. Bill's offensive line, 9%. Brian Dable, 7%. Other 5%. Ladies and gentlemen, we did it. We did another episode. I'm on vacation this week, but I showed up anyway to do an episode 
of the Bruce exclusive from my real vocation or vocations. I am not working this week between Christmas and New Year's, but I couldn't miss out on this. And you're going to have another episode as well of Food for Thought. It's going to be pre-recorded. It's going to drop on Friday night the same way it did last week on New Year's Eve. And if you think that maybe you're annoyed that I'm still around and you were hoping for a week off, then I got nothing to say to you except, folks, that's the way the cookie crumbles. I'm Bruce Nolan, Buffalo Rumpers. Support for this show comes from Fundrise. Buy low, sell high. It's easy to say, hard to do. For example, high interest rates are crushing the real estate market right now. Demand is dropping and prices are falling, even for many of the best assets. It's no wonder the Fundrise flagship fund plans to go on a buying spree, expanding its billion-dollar real estate portfolio over the next few months. You can add the Fundrise flagship fund to your portfolio in just minutes and with as little as $10 by visiting Fundrise.com Fox. Carefully consider the investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses of the Fundrise flagship fund before investing. This and other information can be found in the fund's prospectus at Fundrise.com flagship. This is a paid advertisement.